Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Relationships are just such an absolutely wonderful thing. I mean, think about your friends, your family, your love interests, schoolmates, all these different relationships that have been in your life and have been connected together and have made you part of who you are today. Social media has added this whole other complex layer of our relationships because now we can go back in time and connect with people we haven't seen with for years, old classmates, old coworkers, old friends. But it's really just a shell because on the outside of it, it looks like a connection, but in real honesty, it's really no connection at all. And really, if we think about it, this social distancing has really proven that, hasn't it? Like, though we're still connected and we're able to connect through Facebook and through Instagram and we're still able to connect with friends, we really can't wait for that time we get to get back together to have that cup of coffee, to have that meal with each other, uh, to be a part of something that's like so much bigger than ourselves. Like, think about when we can go back to a baseball game, we get to go to a concert Maybe you just can't wait to get back to church, or maybe you haven't been to church in years, maybe never, and you're like, man, I want to be with a group of people who are joining together for something bigger than themselves, and they call it a church service. Many of us feel the sting of this today because a lot of our traditions are being broken right now. Our relationships are being not what they would normally be. Families getting together for that Easter Easter tradition and that Easter meal We desire to get back together. We desire to enhance these relationships, but we can't do it today. Relationships are so wonderful, aren't they? But at the same time, if we're honest, they're complicated. Inside of our relationships, we learn that when we allow people into our life, the closer they get to be in our lives, the power that they have that can either grow us and they can harm us. Those relationships help us become someone better, and they almost can shatter us and break us down to the core. So we spend our lives, we're always searching, we're always looking for that one relationship. We have those connections in our lives, that relationship, that connection, that would be that best friend, that true friend, that person who really knows you, a good, trusted friend. I remember, and I'll never forget, my good friend Fred. Fred was my crossing guard. I was just a few months into kindergarten living in West Milwaukee and we would have to walk to and from school. And for my little legs and my little body and my little world, it felt like I was walking miles, which was only a few blocks. And Fred would escort us every single day. Do you remember what life was like back when you were younger in those early elementary school days? Hey, all of our elementary school kids, you know what it's like right now, right? You're in it. Like when you're going to school and you're learning all these new things. And for those whose time has passed, do you remember when everything was new? Every smell, taste, experience was new. That's what it was like back for me. And I remember this long time ago, Fred. Now, Fred, like I said, would walk us to and from school. And I, and I just felt like I was part of that story that you've heard a hundred times of. I had to walk 10 miles of school uphill both way. It, it's not true. I didn't have to. 
But again, I had Fred with me. He was my guide. So when I met Fred, I instantly fell in love with him. He's a senior citizen who just always had a smile. Fred was a man who was always there when we got out of school with this big smile and this excitement to greet all of his kids that he would walk us down the streets, making sure we all got home safely. Fred was so kind. And Fred was my first friend like that. I I, I never been outside my little world of the five years I'd been alive. And now I'm into this world. and I meet this amazing man with all these new experiences. I meet a kind, loving, gentle friend. Fred was my friend. He always made me smile. He always made me laugh. And he always had a pocket full of candy. He would have in his pocket, reach out these, those old um, hard candies with the wrappers that were twisted. They'd come in different fruit flavors and you'd have these candies. It was just a wonderful gift. So after school all day to have Fred there waiting for us was just such a special surprise with his big smile and his pocket full of candy. So one day when school ended, you know, I remember running over to the fence where he normally was and all the kids were gathering for this time. And there was Fred, Fred, my trusted friend, big smile as always. But something was different this day. He didn't offer us any candy. Now, there's a girl named Sarah, and, and I don't remember much about Sarah, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I just remember I didn't like Sarah. I don't know why, right? Didn't like her. But she would walk to and from with us. But she said to Fred, I want candy. And he didn't have any candy. Sorry, I don't have any candy today. Um, and she was mean. I just remember mean words being said to my friend Fred. I mean, she said some cruel things and something even bigger happened. She's yelling at him and then she hit him. Now, I don't, this is a long time ago. I don't remember all the details, but let me tell you what I do remember. I remember just seeing red. I was just infuriated. And the best way I can describe this story to you is if you've ever seen the movie A Christmas Story where Ralphie jumps on the bully and just starts pounding him, well, that's what I did to this girl, Sarah. How dare you do that to my friend? How could you betray somebody who's been such a loyal friend to us, takes care of us, and I could not even believe that she hit him. I just lost my mind. And I remember people yelling and my teacher yelling from the school, and I got pulled off of her, and I just took off running all the way home. And I remember Fred calling after me to come back, and I wouldn't listen. I just ran all the way home. How could somebody betray somebody who is kind, loving, and a friend? At the tender age of five years old, five years old, I got to see it in firsthand, this betrayal. And this rose up in me, this injustice. I just, first thing I thought to do was fight for him. Now, he didn't need my help, and obviously, uh, that wasn't the right thing to do. But there's something about betrayal that rises up something in us. There's a feeling that starts to rise. Betrayal is painful. And betrayal is something that happens to all of us. That there's this close relationship that you have, and this relationship, for some reason, gets shattered by someone you trusted. That they turn away from you when you had been vulnerable at your lowest point, your weakest point possibly, and your most gentle of points, somebody betrays you and breaks your heart. Perhaps maybe you're the one who has betrayed somebody. Someone has trusted in you, 
and you are the one that caused the pain. But no matter what it is, whether you've been betrayed or you've betrayed others, whether this relationships and these stories that I'm talking about this is bringing up some memories of pain in your life, there's nothing more beautiful, nothing more beautiful when relationships can be restored. And that's one of the beautiful aspects of our God. Our God restores us when we are broken. He brings us back to him. He fixes the relationship because Jesus was betrayed by everybody. This Holy Week, we're celebrating Jesus and looking at the story of what he did on the cross. And now that he is risen and that Jesus is alive and we celebrate that he is alive. But do you know how much betrayal led to that place? How friends turned away from him, crowds turned away from him. The politicians turned away from him. His own culture turned away from him. Everybody turned their back on Jesus. Everybody. But yet this is the same Jesus who fixes everything and restores and forgives relationships. And so today we're going to explore that. We're going to dig into the story of Jesus and one of his most trusted, loved friends, Peter, and how he betrays him. It'll be in John chapter 21, 1 through 7. I encourage you to open up your Bibles if you have them. Also, if you have a Bible app, it's a long passage that I'm going to read to you today, but I encourage you to open something to read along. Because this is an amazing story as we look at what's happening in the relationships of Jesus and his disciples. It shows us this beautiful aspect of what God does for all of us. So to set this up as you're turning there, well, we kind of backtrack a little bit. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has been crucified. And then three days later, he has risen again. And as he rises again, He's making appearances to the disciples, and he's sharing with what's going on to them. And so this is one of the accounts of him appearing to the disciples to prove that he was who he said that he was, that he was the Son of God, and that he had risen again. So we read through this, and in chapter 20, they run to the tomb. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. The entire world is changing. Things are happening, and these appearances are proving what he did. So here we are in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, happening this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple Jesus, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of full, full of fish, for they were not able, not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. 
and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you even love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. We see in this passage, Peter, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, Thomas, Nathaniel, and two other unnamed disciples get into a boat to go fish. So Peter's going fishing. And, uh, and these other guys go with them, so disciples, some extra disciples, and they go out there and they catch nothing. Now, I, I can relate to this story because as a fisherman, I tend to go out and I catch nothing. So I get it. They're out there, they're frustrated. And it's always interesting here that Peter, who was a fisherman, goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. I always wonder if this is a comfort for him or something that feels familiar to go back to that place. I know for me and my fishing stories, being in a boat, catching nothing is very familiar. So here the disciples are, they're out of the boat. Jesus is on the shore, he tells them, hey, why don't you throw your net over onto the right side? They throw it over and they get so many fish, they're unable to get the boat, the net into the boat. So they've got this net of fish kind of hanging on the side. They can't even get it over the edge of the boat. They realize it's Jesus. So Peter jumps into the water. He swims there while the rest of them are holding this net over the side, trying to drag this thing in. So one guy's probably paddling. They're holding this big net of fish. They're flopping around. They can't get into the boat. And Peter takes off. Hey, thanks for the help, Peter. Like, we didn't need your help to get this thing in. You take off towards the Lord. Swimming, 100 yards to be able to get to shore to see Jesus. And I Ask what triggered this response. Like what in the response of the disciples triggered Peter to jump into the water and swim? Before we move on in the story, we need to go back in time a little bit. We need to explore how Jesus' relationship with Peter, his relationship with John and James began. Because when we look at how this whole thing started, you're going to see a beautiful parallel story here happening. So we're going to jump back in time. And I'm going to read from the account of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is the time that they meet Jesus. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to go out, put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We had finished speaking. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all day, hard all day and night. We've caught nothing. And because you say so, we will let down the nets. And they had done so. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you, for you will fish for people. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So this is how the relationship with Jesus and Peter and John and James begin. Jesus is surrounded by this large crowd of people hearing him teach on the shoreline. And so he has these boats. And so this isn't by chance. This isn't by, this isn't by man, lucky. There are boats there. And Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, push me out here. Would you mind pushing out? So Simon's sitting here listening to this. He's in this crowd, but they're washing their nets, probably listening and washing. And Jesus starts teaching. Crowds are coming around, and Jesus moves out and then teaches the people away from the crowds. Who knows what was happening? Was he getting pushed and shoved? Was just no room? We don't know, but he says, it's a better thing for me to go out here onto the water. So he goes out just a little ways and teaches from there. After that, he says, you know what? Take me out a little bit further. So they go into the deep water and tells him, hey, why don't you put down your nets? And Peter, of course, is like, there's no way, man. We, I haven't caught anything. Put down your nets. And now he catches so many fish that the nets are breaking. He calls everybody over to take a look at what's happening, help get all these fish inside of these boats, but they couldn't even contain it. There was just so many fish. So Peter falls at the feet of Jesus, but Jesus says, don't be afraid because I have a whole new story for you. You have been catching fish your whole life, but now I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to teach you and change what you believe your calling is. And from that moment, they leave and they follow Jesus. So now we're going to flash forward. Let's go back to where we were in John chapter 21 and see the same scenario. They're in a boat. They don't have fish. Jesus tells them to lower the nets. The nets go down. They get more than they can even imagine. Those two parallel stories, the beginning of their ministry, the start of their story with Jesus, now after everything has happened, is back to this story, back to this time when Jesus says, remember, do you remember that moment in that boat when I said this to you, Peter, that I'm going to change your calling in your life? Do you remember this? Because here we are again, remember Isn't it cool how God does that in our lives? How God can do these amazing opportunities to help us understand and learn, not only just through one way, but God uses all these unique ways through our experiences, our stories, your story, my story. Start seeing how God interweaves these beautiful ways to teach us, train us, and to mold us. And so here's one of those stories. By creating a similar situation of the fish and this fishing story, we're reminded, man, Jesus really knew these guys, and he loved them. And because of that, Jesus reminded Peter of his calling. I wonder what happened to him as this whole story is going on, and he sees what is in his mind when he says, lower your nets and fish come up, and then he jumps into the water. We have no idea. We can't speculate. But something that he did do, he took uh, he just went for it. He took off. He ran, jumped in the water, swam towards shore, to be back with his Jesus. Jesus reminded Peter of his calling. So they get back to the shore. They see that there's food there. There's fire there. Jesus is there sharing with them. And Jesus starts to engage in a conversation with Peter, asking Peter this huge question, do you truthfully love me? Do you really love me? Like deep down inside of everything, do you love me? And so he asks him three times, But again, to go forward, we have to go backwards. And so we're going to flash back again. Because Peter had done one of the worst things possible. 
He had betrayed his friend, his mentor, his savior, and his God. Peter betrayed Jesus. At the time where Jesus needed him most, the time when he needed that friend, maybe that support, that encouragement, he needed those guys around him, Peter betrayed Jesus. So let's flash back into what's happening. In John 13, 36 to 38, we see that Peter says, hey, I'm going to lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus calls him out. He says, uh, actually, when you're going to be asked if you know me, you're going to disown me three times. You're going to betray me three times before the rooster even crows. And, you know, Peter, I mean, could you imagine being told that? Like, hey, I'm all in. I'm going to give you my entire life. And then at the same time, like, no, you're going to betray me, actually. And uh, it's going to be bad. Peter, in this moment, I can't imagine what that felt like. What it would have felt like for a friend to say that. I'm not going to betray you, not me. Maybe one of those other guys, not me. I wonder what he thought and he felt in that moment. John moves on in John 18, 15 through 18. We get to those moments of denial and Peter's asked by a girl who's on duty at the high priest's courtyard. She says, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He says, I'm not one of them. Then in John 18, 25, Peter's warming himself by a fire and he's asked, he's one of Jesus' disciples. He says, I'm not one of them. In John 18, 26, Peter's asked by one of the high priest's servants, He challenges them and says, didn't I see you in the olive grove with Jesus? Jesus denies it. At that moment, the rooster crows. Peter denied and betrayed Jesus three times. I wonder if each betrayal, if he remembered the words of Jesus. I I wonder if he thought about it. I wonder what he felt like when he's like, no, I don't know him. Was it fear? Was he afraid that the same thing was going to happen to him that was happening to Jesus? Was it Was it just maybe just chaos? Maybe there's just so much going on. He he didn't even think about it that way. Maybe he thought, I just have to keep myself safe. I have to protect my family and I have to protect my friends. Or maybe, maybe he just never really loved him. I don't think it's the last one. I think Peter loved him. We don't know, right? We're speculating here this morning. But Peter, in this moment, Something clicked inside of him to betray his God and his Savior, his mentor, and his friend. He did one of the worst things possible. He betrayed the Son of God. So Jesus, let me fast forward into this moment now. He's in this place, and he now asks him three times, Do you love me? I mean, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And so here we have this public and verbal confirmation of Jesus because Jesus already knew that Peter loved him. He knew what's going on. He knew what's happening there. He knows how weak we are as humans. He knows, understands, he gets the fact that we're messed up and we're full of this sin that's inside of us. And Peter, in his confusion, he denies him. But then Jesus does something amazing. He he flips the script. He flips the script and turns betrayal into love. He flips the script and he takes the fact that even though that his best friend with his people, his disciples would turn on him, he decided Jesus, the king of the universe, to love instead. In my, in my moment of betrayal as a kindergartner, I went to violence. I went to fists. I went to fury. I went to anger. I went to these things that sinfully are inside of me. But Jesus, in his time of betrayal, forgave, hung on a cross. 
People were spitting at him, mocking him. People were doing terrible things, saying terrible things to him. He was betrayed by people. He's betrayed by people in crowds, and he's betrayed, yet he forgives. Who is this Jesus that forgives? Because I can't do it. I look at myself, I'm like, Jesus, how amazing are you? That in all of these hard things that we have going on, in the moment when all of us would break, God, the king of the universe, models for us what we do and we love. And we forgive. So those three times are significant. And that fish and those nets and those boats were significant. He's sitting down having that meal which we so much wish we could have with one another right now, right? Like to have a meal. And he's sitting there and he says to him, Peter, do you love me? Three denials, three confirmations of his love for him. By doing this, Jesus reinstates the relationship. Jesus did the work. So I wonder what Peter felt like now. What did Peter feel like when you're sitting here eating. Is it awkward at first? Like, have you guys talked about this situation yet? You know, I wonder if he wonders if Jesus really knows. I don't know what's going on in his mind, but he's sitting there eating. And at that moment, he knows that he betrayed Jesus. He knows that he had turned his back on him. He knows, and he sits at the fire with Jesus, and Jesus fixes the relationship Peter broke. Jesus is the one who reinstates the relationship, but he doesn't stop there. Not only did he reinstate the relationship, Jesus activates his future. In this one move, this one story, he says, if you love me, then you're going to care for those who follow me. Jesus had a clear directives when he was on earth. Clear directives, our job is to take care of people who are in a vulnerable state, people who are hurting, people who are lost. That is what Jesus came to do. He says, I came to seek and save those who are lost. And so now he says, Peter, Peter, not only are we cool, Jesus, we are, we, we are now looking at Jesus and Peter connected. And he says, I'm going to put you back to that story. Let's go back to that boat, Peter. Remember when you're in that boat? And I said to you, you're going to become a fisher of men. So if you love me, will you take care of them for me? If you love me, would you do what I asked you to do? Would you take care of the people that I need you to take care of? Would you love the people that I've asked you to love? Jesus came for the broken, hurting, lost people. So he takes a broken, lost, hurting Peter and sends him on mission to go change the world. Jesus asks Peter to come back to the purpose that he had for him from the very beginning in that boat with those fish and that story. You are going to be the leader. I'm asking you to lead these men and these women and these children. I'm asking you to share the message. Tell the world that Jesus is alive. You have the great news of the gospel. You have seen me. You've seen me. We've eaten fish and bread together. I sat by a fire with you. I loved you when you betrayed me. I loved. I've forgiven. Now go tell everybody that story. Jesus is the one. And because of Jesus, Peter is restored. Do you feel or do you ever think that you've done something in your life that made God can't forgive you of? 
Like, there is absolutely no way God's going to forgive me of that. And maybe it's not even purposely, maybe deep down inside, you right now question if God could love someone like you. Maybe your past, maybe your present, maybe your story, but or maybe just you just feel I've done too much. I've betrayed too much. I've betrayed Jesus. There's no way he could forgive me. Perhaps you feel like you could never be restored. Perhaps you feel like there's no purpose for you, that God could not have a purpose for you in his story, in his kingdom, for him. Maybe you feel like you're too broken to be fixed. I'm here to tell you, Jesus restores everything. We have amazing God who looks Peter square in the eyes and says, not only am I going to fix this relationship on the friendship way, our relationship, I know you denied me. I'm going to put you back to your mission. So forgiveness and the restoration back to the mission, he put him back into his purpose. He gave him the task of taking care of the most precious thing to Jesus, which are the men and women he came to save Jesus' love for us is so tenacious. He never gives up on us. He never gives up on you. Please, never believe that there's going to be a time when the God of the universe is not calling out to you and giving you opportunity upon opportunity to love and to be part of his story. You are not too broken. You are not too messed up. You are not. You are made and created by God for his glory and for his kingdom. God has such a beautiful purpose for us, friends. And if you don't even know what I'm talking about, and you're like, JC, you don't understand. I do. Because I've betrayed Jesus. I've messed up. I've been broken. I've made mistakes. I've hurt other people. I'm no better than anybody else in your homes right now that are watching, I'm just like you. Peter is just like us. Jesus restores everything. There's no greater story that we can share about our amazing king on Easter to know that he restores us, that there's opportunity for us that can we be a part of the story. So Jesus is asking you right now, do you love me? Do you love him? He has created a way for us at Good Friday to Easter to put us back onto mission of his story. We talk about Good Friday. Jesus died for us. Our sins, the virus of sin we've released into the world, Jesus is the cure for it. We can't fix what we have done, but Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, took everything for us. So on the cross, our punishment was taken care of, but it doesn't stop there. Now he rises again, and now our king is alive. Our king is ruling, and he has mission and vision and purpose for all of us, and he has something for us. We get to be part of his family, and as a part of a family, we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Social distancing cannot stop the fact that we have something bigger because of Jesus. We are part of something bigger. But to be inside of this story of this family means you have to call out to Jesus as Savior that he really took our punishment on Friday. He really rose again on today, on Sunday, and that he is the king right now who's going to be coming back for us. That's the beautiful story of Jesus. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. You don't have to work your way to heaven. The beautiful story of Jesus is you're just his kid. He loves you, and he wants you to be restored back into who you are. But sin is riddling us. Friends, if you don't call out to Jesus, you don't have the cure. 
And I'm not saying the cure is that you're going to stop sinning and that stops in your life. It's a process. It's a story. So don't think, oh, I've gone and I've messed up so much. And now, God, that's not what this is about, friends. The fact is that sin is the thing that God wants to rip out of our lives. So the story with Jesus is you are just love. Grace wins. You are loved. God did the work. Call on Jesus and you're going to be saved. The next part of the story is a new life that we have and the new life that God has for us. And this new life puts us into his story and into his mission. Do you love him? Friends, do you love Jesus? Everything we have is through him because of him. Everything. Do you love him? Do you love the one who died and rose again so that we have right standing with God? Our Jesus restored everything. Friends, may you continue to explore and experience the amazing life we have with Jesus. And I'm praying right now that for you, your family, your friends, your community would know what it means to have a life restored with this amazing King. It's because of him we have Good Friday. We have what we're celebrating today is Easter, that we are now restored with God, but we get to be part of the bigger story. We get to be a part of the story of what God does in our lives to transform our community in the world. Imagine right now, you're at that fire where Peter's at, and he's sitting there, and you're sharing a meal with Jesus. He looks you square in the eyes. He says, do you love me? If you love me, love and care for the people that I do. God bless you. Have a fantastic Easter celebration. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.